0: I should probably start this podcast with an inspirational travel quote by Christopher Columbus or somebody of that stature, but I'm not that guy, so here's something not as profound by myself. Fuck what anybody else thinks, if you want to do something what makes you happy, just do it. Some of the stories in this podcast might be hard to believe, but if you've been to sunny beach yourself, then you'll know that anything is possible. Hated this sound. This sound signaled that it was time for me to drag my lard ass out of bed, as another day of painting was ahead of me. I never knew what I wanted to do when I left school, so I decided to take up an, an apprenticeship in painting and decorating. It wasn't the fancy stuff you'd seen in a Dulux advert. It was more like going to shithole estates in the arse end of nowhere to paint a smackhead's fence on a social housing scheme. Three years of doing this bollocks, and I'd had enough. And it was the start of 2011 and for the previous three years i had been to Sunny Beach on holiday and I was really really envious of the workers over there thinking to myself that's the life right there and that I could actually do that as well and I'd see them every day with a drink in the hand without a care in the world and I thought to myself that I'd have a bit of that. My journey to working in Sunny Beach was all down to one man really. A man that not many people who've worked out there or been to Sunny Beach before will know but his name was DJ Shark and I'll take a little trip down memory lane to explain how I met Shark whilst out there on a lad's holiday. So bear with me, let's go on a walk down the strip whilst I explain. When I was 17, a year after leaving school, me and three friends thought it'd be a good idea to go on holiday to Sunny Beach. Nobody our age at the time was going on lad's holidays, and as we booked it at Thomas Cook, we even had to have our parents sign a consent form just so that we could travel abroad independently. All I remember when I was booking it, that it cost £750 for two weeks in a hotel called Hotel Colofa, which the building, well, the Colofa building, it looked a lot like a Dalek from Doctor Who. Me and the lads were absolutely buzzing. Um, it was my friends Fitch, Ozzy, and Smeg. Don't ask about Smeg's name. Um, we all came on this holiday from the recommendation from me, really, because I'd been there the previous year with my family and another family. Uh, But I'll spare the details of that holiday just to try and speed up this story. I don't remember much from this holiday, as was arsehole partying pretty much all day every day. But things I do remember is a bar called One for the Road. One for the Road, it was next to our hotel, Hotel Kalafa, And there was a promoter outside of it trying to flog us his bacon every single day. Sometimes twice a day, but mainly in the mornings for breakfast. Proper English bacon from Tesco's in Asda, the best bacon in sunny beach. That's all we'd hear every morning, yelling it from the top of his lungs as he's seen me and the lads approaching, trying to get us in. And I think eventually we caved in and we did actually go in for a full English from the bacon man, as we actually known him as then. This first lads holiday, it was in 2009, and the place to be back then was a club called Lazar. Most of the promoters were English and they had a pool at the back of the club with what can only be described as as giant hamster balls, which you could run on the water with which was all we thought at the time was like they are they look fucking unbelievable because it was only 17 years old and we'd hardly left the northwest of England. Also in Lazor, there was loads of different rooms playing different different genres of music, which was pretty strange. Uh, and one of the rooms was playing Bulgarian folk music, which I now know is called Chalga, which was a pretty funny experience dancing around with Russian and Bulgarian fellas and uh, smoking cigars. And I was wondering if it was a bad dream or if, if it actually was reality. Other notable notable events from the first holiday included our friend Smeg getting ran over by a taxi at the front of our hotel, which somehow he was left unscathed by. And another time with Smeg again, he, uh, he decided it would be a good idea to climb from one balcony to the other as we had two separate rooms and the security guy on the bottom floor was going absolutely fucking mental as we was around five or six floors up in the hotel. How Smeg survived Bulgaria is beyond me, to be fair. Where was I, anyway? Oh, yeah, DJ Shark. We met Shark as he was a resident DJ in a bar slash nightclub called Amora, and he'd regularly take song requests from the tourists. Me and the lads would, would ask for English tunes all the time, but he didn't have any, but he'd always come back with something really similar, and we got speaking to him as his English was really good. And he was a really good... Well, he was a really friendly guy. And he ended up giving us his business card. And I'd keep repeating myself to him. Shark, can you get me a job out here? Shark, do you think it's possible you can get me a job out here? La, 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 la." And the amount of times he must have heard that from annoying pissed-up Brits like myself must have been absolutely unbearable for him. But he always remained friendly. The following year, in 2010, me and the lads went back out to Sunny Beach. But this time, there was six of us rather than four. It was me and Fitch from the previous holiday um and there was another four lads who were sunny beach virgins so we showed them what the what the best spots in sunny beach were sure enough we went over to Amora and shark was still djing there and he actually remembered who i was and i was repeating what i've repeated the following season to him about wanting to work over there and this time we exchanged email addresses and he agreed to let me know if any any jobs would become available many things happened on the second lads holiday like my friend drinking that much that he turned purple We adopted a flea-ridden stray cat for a week, which we ended up calling Barona. At the time, we didn't know it had fleas um, until the last day of the holiday. Um, One of the boys rode home a mountain bike with no idea how how he found it. And we became mates with a clan of Scottish lads who were top draw, to be fair to them. And another time, half of our group got held for ransom at a strip club. Uh, But for for the purposes of getting to the nitty-gritty of this podcast... We'll put the lads holiday episodes on hold for now and we'll come back to them later in the series and focus on how I got to working in Sunny Beach. So in the winter of 2010 into 2011, DJ Shark had emailed me informing me that there was a new company starting up in Sunny Beach by the name of Bar Troopers and he put me onto a fella called Danny Dark Horse Dixon. Sure enough, I made contact with Dark Horse and he wanted to have a Skype call with me explaining the ins and outs of what he was actually looking for, which, which was ticket sellers. It was the manager of Bar Troopers, and he explained that he was looking for a team of staff to sell and work on pub, well, to sell pub crawls and work on pub crawls. After around thirty minutes of chewing his ears off, explaining how I'd I would be the ideal candidate for the job, he said that he'd be in touch, and the and the Skype call ended. Personally, I thought that I nailed the call, and he seemed like a good guy to work for. And the bonus was that he was English, so it'd be easy to for me to communicate with him. And I forgot how long it was, but I think it was in the 24 hours, well, within the 24 hours, he messaged me telling to book a flight over and get out there for the end of May in 2011 to start working. I was like a pig in shit. I was absolutely buzzing. At the time, I was living with my parents as I was only 19 years old, and I rushed to tell them the news, and they was they was really happy for me as well, as they've always told me to do what makes me happy. And besides, they, mess, they met out... Out in the Costa del Sol in the eighties, and from what I've heard about the Costa del Sol in the eighties, it was pretty similar. It was a pretty similar scene to Sunny Beach, um, so they didn't really judge me too much, and they let me get on with it. The next job was to tell tell my workplace that I was finish finishing my three year apprenticeship, which they'd funded, hoping to get a full time painter out of it at the end. But it was getting cut short. However, I still managed to snag my qualifications and finish the course a couple of months earlier. And when, when I was telling the lads at work, they were, they were all telling me that I was dreaming. There wasn't a chance that I was going to work out abroad, which pretty much just spurred me on to do it even more. The majority of the blokes who were, who worked at the painting company, which I was at, they'd been painters their whole lives. And they had a really, really shitty outlook on life. There was a the type of people, when we'd, drive, when we'd drive the van past the graveyard, they'd end up saying, we all end up there one day. And the majority of them were all alcoholics, which is a stigma which is attached to painter and decorators, but it is quite true. And they just complained about the jobs on a daily basis and never did anything to try and change their situation. And most of them probably probably, probably never left the country anyway. And as the date the date drew closer for me to fly out, I'd tell them only 10 more days, only nine more days, only eight more days, etc. And I'm out of this all. And they'd all still laugh at me, telling me that I'd be at this company in 20 years time. And then it came. It came to a shock. To it came to a, uh, as a shock to the miserable bastards when I never returned. I even took a week off before flying out to Bulgaria, as I hated it that fucking much. Around two weeks before I was meant to fly out, a friend of mine who would recently lost his job was spent was spending quite a lot of time with me. He knew what my plans was to go out there and work in Sunny Beach as a ticket seller, but he'd never heard of the place before. But from the stories that I'd told him about my previous lads' holidays. It was more than game, and asked him, he asked me if I could ask Dark Horse if there was any more vacancies going. I got in contact with Dark Horse and told him that my friend was one of the most confident characters that he'd ever meet, and then when they made contact, he he actually got a job too, which meant that I gained a flying partner and a roommate for when I arrived in Sunny Beach. That was Tony. Tony was probably one of the most charismatic characters that I'd ever had ever seen in Sunny Beach, and along with one of the best ticket sellers I'd ever met but we'll get into that soon. Because the end of May had arrived, and it was time for me and Tony to embark on an adventure of a lifetime. The hardest part about leaving home for me was seeing how how upset my mum was getting, um, that her youngest was pissing off to Eastern Europe for the summer, on the premise that a stranger called Dark Horse, who I'd never met, was putting us up in accommodation and and had a job waiting for us. Looking back, it did look a bit fucking sketchy, to be fair especially because social media back then wasn't what it is now, but if you don't try, you'll never know. So with £750 in cash and my case all packed, I left for England and flew on a one-way flight from Manchester to Borgas Airport. All I really remember when arriving in Sunny Beach was that we got to resort around 4 o'clock in the morning, Um, and in May in 2011, the resort was quite quiet. We got dropped off by a taxi at the bottom of the strip which is called Flower Street, and Dark Horse told him told us to meet him in a bar that I mentioned earlier, Amora. I remember the walk to Amora being a bit strange as nobody was around as it was early in the season. And I got the look from Tony as if to say, what the fucking hell have you brought me to here? Without him even having to say anything really. as we dra- And then we just dragged our cases down the strip. We got to Amora and I shit you not, there was nobody in there apart from one man sat on a bar stool at the bar. That man, of course, was Dark Horse and DJ DJ Sharp was actually DJ into an empty crowd. But as I said, it was four o'clock in the morning. It was early in the season, so I don't didn't really think too much of it. The easiest way to describe this part was was the scene in the In Betweeners movie, you know, when the lads walk into walk into the bar. Uh, but Dark Horse had greeted us and had a chat with us about when we was going to start work, etc. And he gave us a few beers. Then he sh- and short, well, I say shortly, probably around an hour, hour and a half after us talking, he showed us to our accommodation. Result, Dark Horse was a real person with a real job offer and he put us up in our accommodation as promised. So at this point, we was thinking, you know, it, it's going to be all right. So it all started with a company called Biotroopers. I first met Byron via social media, on Facebook and he's real real keen to come out show me what he's made of, him and his mate Tony, and what a pair they were. Blinding pair of ticket sellers, absolute pair of plonkers, love them to pieces. I can honestly say Byron's one of the, my favourite people, I've actually had work for me in Sunny Beach. He's not a bad ticket seller, want the best, he definitely want the worst. Always put a decent shift in, cheeky lad, lots of banter. I've even got I Love Byron's mum tattooed on my leg. (laughs) Byron, I'm glad you had a fucking amazing time in Sunny Beach. I'm glad I could be a part of it, the one that started it, the corrupter of souls. (laughs) Hotel Avenue was my first ever apartment over in sunny beach which it, and it was pretty basic but it's all me, all that me and tony needed really for working out there and it was paid for by the company as well which was even better avenue was the host for one of the most ridiculous things i'd ever witnessed in sunny beach but we'll get onto that later on in the series dark horse had wanted us to work the day after that we'd arrived to get us into the swing of things so we had a few hours sleep and went and met the rest of the team well the bar troopers team The first meeting with everybody was a real eye-opener. I can't lie when I say this, and if you are listening, I am sorry, but what a fucking strange team. Don't get me wrong, all the Bar Troopers team, they were brilliant, and they were good people, but we had a guy in his late 30s called Andy. He always wore like three-quarter length tracksuit bottoms with a white beater vest on, and he was a bit of a strange bloke, to be fair. There's a few Bulgarian staff who were all great with us Brits working out there as well. Two of which was were well, there were sisters Rosie and Didi. The name was, and a lad called Joker. He was a good lad as well. There was also Spencer. who was a cracking lad from Essex who me and Tony became really good friends with. And Sam, who was a Scottish girl, who was always up for a laugh. There was more staff, but top, uh, but off the top of my head, I can't really remember everyone from the first meeting that me and Tony had attended. But I'll save I'll save the best what I do remember till last, as me and. Me and the next guy I'm going to talk about, we remain friends until, well, until today. And a very good friend working out there for the next six summers. And he did become kind of my confidant, if you will. And he'll feature quite heavily in my story. Nips. Nips was a skinny lad originally from London. He was as mad, as, He was as mad as a box of frogs. He was one of the strangest, caring, crazy bohemians I ever did meet. But me and Tony instantly clicked with him and Spencer. I also forgot to mention the boss of the company, one of my favourite bosses I ever had working out in Sunny Beach, and he went by the name of Jello. From all my time of working for Bar Troopers, I don't ever think that I saw Jello raise his voice or be angry, to be fair. He was always such a laid-back guy who was happy and joking and genuinely wanted his staff just to enjoy the time in his country as he he was a Bulgarian fella. He'd always start every meeting with, Okay, guys, we're going to do it like this. Before he, and then he'd start explaining which part of resorts he wanted his staff to work in. And at the end of every meeting, it'd make us all put our hands in the middle, like <laughs> put all our hands in the middle, like fucking Power Rangers. And and then he'd come out with after three, one, two, three, Batroopers. I knew Jello, Jello was a crazy guy when I discovered what event me and Tony would be selling. One of them was a standard bar crawl and the next one what come a couple of weeks from me and Tony working for Bar Troopers was literally the most bizarre bar crawl I ever did see. But we'll get on to that a bit later on in this episode. The fact that Bar Troopers were a new company. I remembered other ticket sellers from established companies in, in the resort being a bit standoffish with us at the start of the season. But that didn't really bother us because we had our own little team and everyone was getting along with one another. But we did try with the some of the other companies who didn't really want to be too accommodating to us. Mine and Tony's first day on the strip was like training day. Dark Horse, Dark Horse would op, often come over to us giving us tips how to sell. And once we got our pitch right, we started shifting some tickets, which was a really good feeling. It, the pitch its always, well, I'd probably repeat the same pitch about two, 300 times a day, so it'd be... Five bars, five free drinks, a free T-shirt, and free entrance to a nightclub at the end of the night. And like I said, I'd repeat that around five, <laughs> around three, four hundred times a day. Um, but like a wise man, like a wise man once said to me, for every one hundred people you speak to, ten people will buy tickets. We soon picked up the knack of using different pitches for different nationalities. Um, all you really had to do was be cheeky. So for example, if there was Norwegian, they'd say, Alright guys, where are you from? They'd say no Norway and then we'd say, Oh no way and then that'd often get a little giggle. But they probably did get fucking sick of stupid British people saying that to them. Or if they were Swedish, Well where are you from? Sweden. Oh my mum loves Ikea and Abba, so on and so forth. That's how we used to go about it. I think we managed to shift around eight tickets between us on our first shift, working as a working as a tag team, me and Tony. And we was really happy with that. And then the bonus at Bar Troopers was, as well as getting a basic salary of 800 levs per month, which was around £400, we'd also got, get five levs in commission per ticket. But we could take that commission out of the ticket money when cashing up at the end of every shift. So we always had money on our hip which was really good if you tried getting a deal like that in sunny beach now as a ticket seller you'd be left high and dry but back then the money was really good for a first job another thing i remember from my first day on the job was getting some lunch most ticket sellers in sunny beach would live on the giant pizza slices what you could get around for around one lev one and a half levs with workers discount and when i first went to the pizza stand i asked a fella for a slice of his finest chicken pizza And he just shook his head. He just shook his head at me, as as if to say, "No." I just I remember thinking to myself, "What the fucking hell is this guy's problem?" I repeated my order back to him, and then took the slice of pizza. Well, he took the slice of pizza and warmed it up in his big like pizza stove thing. He then asked me for the amount of money in Bulgarian. So I just handed the pizza. I handed the money to him, as you know, my fellow colleagues had told me it's like one and a half left for a big slice of pizza there. And I was, and then he gave me the, he handed me the slice of pizza, and I just remember thinking to myself, what the fucking hell is his problem? He was just shaking his head at me as if to saying like, no, you can't have it. And then he took my money, and then gave me the pizza, and then I just walked away all confused. So I went and told my one of my Bulgarian friend Joker, asked, you know what about what I thought was a rude fella. and he explained to me. Uh, that Bulgarian is one of the only countries in Europe, which well, in the world, I think, which use the he- opposite head shakes. So yes means no, and no means yes. Something it was something to do with the Ottoman forces capturing the Bulgarians back in the old days. So they'd capture capture the Bulgarians and hold a sword up to their throats, trying to make them change their religion. And then the Bulgarians would nod up and down to kill themselves, as if to say no. Uh, so they'd rather rather than convert it to a different religion. They'd rather kill himself. See, I wasn't getting levered just just getting levered every day. I was learning some history too. I'd get day drunk pretty much all the time, though, as it made ticket selling a hell of a lot easier for me when I had a beer in me for some reason. Nine out of ten times, I'd be working at the top of the strip, or as workers know it as Beach Cross, where there'd be two supermarkets opposite each other, around three fast food stands, and a man who sold knockoff DVDs and CDs on the corner. Working at the beach cross was handy because you could just pop in and out of the shop for a drink. Uh, So when you finish one beer, you could just go in again and get another beer. And back in 2011, it was only like one lev, which is like 50 pence or 50 cents, depending where you're from, for a large beer, which was really good. As the day went on, you usually go three ways with another person um, that you'd be working with, or even some from another companies eventually. Uh, to chip in for a big bottle of spirits and mixers, and then you'd just get some cups and you would get yourself nice and pissed before the event you, that you were selling would begin. There was another team of staff who was working in very well. There was working in the same positions, positions as as us. Uh, they worked for the biggest nightclub in Sunny Beach, Denglada Viking or DGV as it's known now. DGV. D G V. Most of their staff in 2011 were Scandinavians, but the odd British slash Irish team member. Uh, but there was always there was always pissed up and got they got to drink buckets of alcohol on the streets whilst they worked. I was always jealous that they got to drink for free and didn't have to go into the shop to buy the booze like we did. But in fairness, they'd always they always shared their buckets out with people who was working for other companies. There was quite a friendly bunch, and I made quite a free I made quite a few friends from the Viking one of which his name, well, his name was Ben Duffy, an Irish lad. Um, he'd regularly come over saying, oh, do you want some of my, you know, do you want to drink some of my bucket, Byron? And Ben was quite like-minded to myself. He didn't really give a shit about company company politics or whatever. He was just out there for a good time. But Ben will feature a, a bit later on in, in the series. The events which we were selling at Bar Troopers originally started out as, as an event called the Bonkers Bar Crawl. Which was, it was what it said on the tin really. A five bar pub crawl which would always finish in the disco, Amora or bar depending what you think it is. It is a bar slash club. And we would sell this to tourists for the price of 15 levs, which at the time worked out at around £6. And they got a free shot in each bar and a free t-shirt too. So for that price it was quite a bargain in fairness. I know a lot of resorts banned bar crawls years ago because they, they, they were just becoming a nuisance for people who were sat in restaurants or whatever but in Sunny Beach, it had become a staple of the young person's holiday out there. Tickets were easy to shift, and the ticket-selling team we had at Bar Troopers were getting stronger and stronger. I think a lot of other companies who'd been there a while laughed at us at first as we was new, and to be fair, our team was a bunch of fucking misfits. But Jesus Christ, they're misfits, they could sell tickets. We was getting better numbers than some of the other event teams who'd been around for a few years, uh, longer than us, and I remember the first pub crawl me and Tony worked on. We started at Disco Lazor, which was a big nightclub at the other side of the resort. Um, and it wasn't as popular as, as it once was with the emergence of Denglada Viking and Disco Orange and Iceberg. But we'd often lo- use Lazor as the meeting point for our pub crawls. And then we'd do a two mile walk from the centre of the resort to the final destination, which was Amora. Looking back at that, our routes were so fucking long back in 2011. On our first bar crawl, I'll never forget. We went to this tiny bar with a shitload of people. I can't really remember the name of the bar either, as it it was in the fucking the middle of fuck nowhere. But what I do remember is that there was a it was a karaoke bar. So I just picture the scene: we rock up with a hundred plus people, and a DJ is taking song requests for people who want to sing karaoke. It was fucking unbelievable. But what was even more unbelievable was the fact that guests were absolutely fucking loving it. And belting out classics like Sweet Caroline and Wonderwall. This job was fucking class. And we'd get drink tokens to spend in the bars as well whilst on the pub crawl, which meant we drank for free. So essentially, we were just part of the pub crawl. And the only real work that we had to do was jump on the megaphone from bar to bar, chanting shit like, here we, here we, here we fucking go, or... When I say bar, you say troopers, and then the Seven Nation Army theme tune, and that tune got really fucking annoying. Even even just after two bar crawls, after eventually making it back to more after our first pub crawl, Tony started cracking really shit. You know the shit your mum jokes with me, and we'd often crack your mum jokes. So, for example, oh, it's shit this drink. Your mum shit. Really, really childish. Really childish jokes, which was cracking with each other um and tony tony had joked about getting a getting a byron's mum tat well getting the two words byron's mum tattooed on himself and i laughed it off and i thought nothing of it but he disappeared for about an hour after the after the pub crawl and he came back with cling film all up his leg with blood dribbling down the side of his leg i just remember thinking to myself surely fucking not but he had there was running <laughs> And there's just blood just running down his leg. So then he was peeling away the cling film and there it was. It said Byron's mum going down his leg. At first, my reaction literally was, you can fuck right off. And so I instantly just ran to the tattoo studio and asked for asked for Tony's mum. And I don't know if Tony thought I was bluffing or not, but then I ran back into Amora with cling, matching cling film on my leg as well. And the group were absolutely pissing themselves. Us two numbskulls still have them tattoos as well to this day and I've got a few few more questionable tattoos along the journey but we can get into them as the series as the series progresses. There was other notable antics which would follow a bar crawl which I'd get myself into a proper mess. One of which I'm not so particularly proud of but there was a Scottish girl who was on one of our bar crawls as part of a hen party who was chatting away to me all night. It was having a laugh and one thing led to another which led, led to going back to my apartment. After the deed was done, she pointed out a ring on her finger which to which I complimented her on in my drunk, naive state. She must have been in her mid to late 20s and after I complimented her about the ring, uh, she came out with a bombshell that she was actually married. The ring made sense now and I felt a bit strange and then she left. The following days, I'd see her and her friends around the strip but her friends would just give me the evils which led me to believe that her friends were probably friends with her husband and once they'd left the resort to go home, I'd received a message on Facebook from her saying that she's willing to drop everything back home and come and spend the rest of the season with me out in Sunny Beach and her husband knows what's happened whilst you're on holiday. At this this point, I panicked and I did what any other 19-year-old lad working in a party resort would have done. I hit that block and delete button faster faster and harder than Mike Tyson would hit his opponents in his prime. Luckily, I never heard from her again, but I do hope that her and her her husband kiss at Kissed and made up. Another tale I've got from after bar crawl antics include a not so romantic story. This one, let's call it the sleep wanker. Tony and I had become friends with the doorman of Amora who was an English fellow who was also an ex-serviceman ex-serv- called Frosty and Frosty had a friend called Danish Dan. The television in Bulgaria, in Bulgaria rarely had any English channels but late at night it always had something on which didn't, need, didn't really need a language. That would be the hardcore porn. One night I got so pissed that I must have thought it would be a good idea to go home and please myself un- over some of Bulgarians finest hardcore porn. And Tony was still out. Uh, but what happened next pretty much scarred me for life. I must have fell asleep with the adult channel on. And all I, all I remember is Frosty Tony and Danish Dan coming through the apartment door in absolute hysterics. Literally rolling around on the floor in tears as they couldn't speak. I was half asleep and dazed, but as I looked up, there was still porn on the TV. I looked down, and I must have thought having a posh tug was a good idea, uh, whilst I was home alone in the in the apartment, and the soldier wasn't so much stood to attention anymore, so it looked like what can only be described as a plastic bag hanging off the end of a twig on a tree. Wasn't my pr- proudest moment, and it wasn't my proudest wank for that matter either, but at least the boys got a laugh out of it. Another story I'm not too proud of, which only me, Tony and Nips know about, was a little trip to the casino. Like I mentioned earlier, we was able to make the commission we had earned at the end of every day. So once we'd cashed up, um, we got to keep the commission. But one time, Tony fancied going to the casino before we had cashed up. We had, decent, we had a decent day, day's sales and he thought it'd be a good idea to try and use our ticket money to make some more money. So we ended up going to Cuban Casino, which is a big old hotel with a casino attached to it right in the middle of Flower Street and hit the roulette tables and the blackjack tables. I think at one point we was around 500 levs up and I suggested to Tony that we leave now that we're up, but he wanted to make more money and carried on, which turned out to be a really, really bad idea. Because the casino always fucking won and all the whole lot of the ticket money had gone. I was unsure how much exactly it was that we, we'd we lost. It wasn't exactly thousands, maybe probably, well, it was probably a couple of hundred or a few hundred levs, um, but we now had a problem on our hands and we had to think fast. Otherwise, we risked losing our job or owing the money, owing the company money. So I, had, I came up with a gen- genius idea of calling Dark Horse and telling, us, <laughs> telling him that we'd been robbed by the gypsies in the darkest part of a back street, which was a really, really sketchy area anyway. So I knew that it'd be more believable. So, like a man who was doing his best sick voice calling in sick for work, I phoned Dark Horse to explain. I put on a voice which sounded like I'd just ran the, the London Marathon panting and sounding really, really panic. Patwell sounded really panicky, and I began to explain that me and Tony had been rob- robbed for our ticket money at na- knife point. He went absolutely mental, um, and I began to think, fucking hell, we've been rumbled here. Uh, but then he went on to say that he's going to send some Bulgarian heavies around to the area um, where it all happened so they could sort the gypsies out. So some poor gypsy fucker may have got an absolute arse whooping, all because Tony couldn't walk out of the casino 500 levels up. But who knows? I also remember Tony being on the phone to him as well, doing his best crying voice, pretending to cry. So, yeah, it's not, it wasn't the best thing. Bar Troopers were doing really well, though, and the team spirits were unbelievable and we were shifting a lot of tickets for our bark rolls, And Dark Horse and Jello had also come up with, a, with an idea, which was the most bizarre bar crawl in the world, which they ended up calling the Survivor's Bar Crawl. When they told us what we had to what we had to sell at a street price of 15 levs, which again was around six pound at the time, we all knew it would be one of the easiest sales in the world. This pub crawl was a phone party, a pool party, and a pub and a pub crawl all in one. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Yeah, it was fucking crazy. So the event started at Lazore just like the other pub crawls, but apart from this one, uh, apart, f- uh, but on this one. Um, it started with a foam party, so there was a huge foam cannon on concrete spraying loads of people full of foam. And don't get me wrong, it was a bit dodgy as most foam parties would include a pool or a, a big inf- inflatable foam pit. But it got an A for effort from from me, um, from Dark Horse and Jello. But from Lazor would then hit a couple of bars before going into the pool part of the pub crawl. This pub crawl's dress code was literally swimwear, so picture the scene: it's 8 p.m. And you're ready to, and you go into a phone party. Then you hit a couple of bars in between while still in your bikini or swim trunks if you're a guy. Um, And then around 10 p.m., we headed to a place called Hotel Olymp. I'm sure that's where that's what the name of the place was from the top of my head. Where we'd literally walk around. Well, we had around 150 to 200 tourists through (laughs) through a restaurant where families were eating the dinner to gain access to the pool area, and when we did get to the pool area, there'd be a DJ playing and we'll put on a range of pool-based games for the guests. So like I said, around 150 to 200 people at 10 o'clock at night in a hotel pool whilst on a bar crawl. Let that sink in. It was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen on a pub crawl. But to be fair, to be to be fair to Dark Horse and Jell-O, uh, fair fucking play for having the bollocks to do something a bit different to everybody else. From the pool party part of the pub crawl, it was around 11pm 11, 11 at this point, we'd hit one other bar from what I remembered, where everyone would get piss wet. Well, they'd be piss wet through from finishing, um, just coming out of the pool party. And then at 12, well, at 12 o'clock, we'd finish the night back in Amora, where the majority of guests at this point probably would have dried off. But again, picture the scene, 12 o'clock at night, 200 people walking through the middle of the resort in the bikinis or swim shorts and flip flops and the guests loved every single fucking minute of it. but the other companies were getting the hump. Bar Troopers had become the Millwall of Sunny Beach. The majority of other companies couldn't stand how well we was doing as we was a new company and they didn't consider the venue that our events had finished in to be a nightclub as in fairness it was more of a big bar um, slash bar, bar club but we was taking, we was taking customers who they wanted to fill their clubs and events onto our club, well, onto our events and into our bar slash club at the end of the night. Other companies was would often say that we we was copy and paste in their product, but the ideas of which Jello and Dark Horse had was were things that no other companies were doing. The main companies who couldn't stand us was a company called Party Crew. Party Crew had been running a few years before Bar Troopers had arrived. And worked with three other nightclubs in Sunny Beach at the time: Iceberg, Revolution, and Disco Orange. A few of the staff at Party Crew would speak to us, but others would literally just ignore us in the streets, like we wasn't even human beings or that we didn't exist. And their nightclubs would make us pay full price into the clubs and venues which they worked in, which was a bit of a snide. It was a bit of a snide move, really, as every other worker in resort would get to go to the other nightclubs for free. Um, as they were workers, and they'd also get discounted worker-price drinks as well. Apart from us, the Bar Troopers team, the streets all ticket sellers worked in had become a little bit bitchy at this point, and that's when the headhunting season had officially begun. Before I get onto the headhunting slash poaching season, there was a Geordie lad who joined Bar Troopers called Duzzer, and me and Tony really did get along with him. It was a bit older than us, and he pretty much crashed at our accommodation all the time. Kind of like a wanderer, but he was genuinely uh, hilarious. And me, and me, him and Tony had kind of formed a wolf pack. But one of the things I do remember was him having an iPad, which was filled with uh, loads of different albums, you know, music. Um, so if I listened to Bruno Mars's first album one more time, I think it would send me over the edge. As Tony had pretty much adopted Does his iPad and used to play that album on repeat 24 fucking 7, which really, really did do my head in. Another song which was constantly on repeat that season, which will haunt me for the rest of my days, was the Party Rock Anthem by LMFAO. I'm not over-exaggerating when I say this, but if but you'd literally hear this song 50 times a day, and you'd always see pissed-up prats trying to do the shuffle, um, and people in every day I'm shuffling t-shirts, which the, the local dodgy t-shirt printing selling stores would, would flog to tourists that song would that song was literally unbearable and you could not escape it. every single bar was playing party party rock anthem at one time or another but another unbearable song from that summer which absolutely burnt my head out as well was give me everything by Pitbull and Neo. just the fact that Pitbull was on the song instantly made me want to put my put cactuses in my ears whenever it was played but yeah it was really really frustrating listening to that all the fucking time. back to Dozer anyway. We formed, a, we formed a great bond with him and it's quite weird when you're abroad because you're in your mate's pockets 24-7 and without meaning to sound cheesy they do become kind of like family members but Dozer had told us that he was leaving after around 6 weeks of him being in resort and working for Bar Troopers and at first I was alright with it but then when the day, the day of him leaving came fucking hell I ended up getting emotional I'd never really been an emotional person and I ra- I, I'd rarely cried really it was the first good friend that I had to say goodbye to in sunny beach. And it was a tough pill to swallow the day he was leaving. I walked into the bus stop where he'd get the bus to the airport. And I just remember, I don't know why, but I was in absolutely, I was in absolute hysterics crying. Uh, you would have thought that somebody had died and he'd just say, he'd just say to me, how are you, man? Stop crying. It'd be right. I'll see you again, mate. Um, but before the, and then that was obviously before the bus had took off. And then he just went uh, on the bus to the airport. I never did actually see Duzzer ever ever again, but he was a fucking top lad. So if you're listening, mate, I really do hope that you're well. Back to the headhunting anyway. A lot of the bigger companies at the time were trying to poach members of, uh, members of staff from the smaller companies. And Tony had a very good reputation as a top ticket seller on the streets. He'd be approached by the boss of Party Crew at the time. We'll call him Dave, just in case he doesn't want his name revealing. To be fair, I've not messaged him, but we'll call you Dave. You know who you are, Dave. Davey, Dave was a funny person in resort, and everybody knew knew that he'd always make snide remarks to to part uh, to bar troopers, staff especially. And you'd often hear "Hiya, boys!" up and down that up and down Flower Street, and he'd always be trying to tap up the good sellers from other companies. He'd been trying to lure Tony over to Party Crew for a while, but Tony was happy where he was until one day he crumbled. And he'd asked me what I thought about him going over to Party Crew. I've always been a loyal person and I thought that Dark Horse and Jello had done a lot for us. So I wasn't completely sold on the idea until I learnt the benefits of working for the other company. The company who Party Crew belonged to um, also owned the majority of the restaurants and the bars in Sunny Beach. And they also had the three overnight clubs which was Disco Orange, Iceberg and Revolution. And Tony had told me that it'd been offered by Party Crew. The offer that it had from Party Crew um, was actually more money than what what it, it was on at, at Bar Troopers, and also it'd end up with fifty percent off food and drink at all the other companies' venues and nightclubs, which would sell, save a hell of a lot of money in the long run. As the other company, literally, they had restaurants all the way down Flower Street, so it would give us and, and also with the bar uh, with the venues, the night the nightclubs, should I say, it'd give a lot more space for us to explore as well. Tony was adamant that he wanted to jump ship, but he did have one condition to Dave. As it was, Tony was as loyal to me as I was to Dark Horse. Tony had told Dave that the one condition that he had joining Party Crew was that I joined with him. He told Tony that he'd get back to him, and then after a few days, he agreed. I knew that I knew myself that Dave wouldn't have hired me otherwise, um, as I wasn't as strong as a seller as Tony. And Dave ran a really, really strict sales team at Party Crew. A day after we was meant to jump the ship, Jello and Dark also put on a team day at one of the water parks where all of the bar troopers staff would get hammered and have a big day out together, which was really fucking good fun. So it was a bit of a shithouse thing for us to do, quitting the day, the day after a team day. But in my heart of hearts, I'll admit it now, I didn't really want to join Party Crew. And the only reason I did really... Um, was to feel like I was part of a bit of a bigger team, a more established company, and have better discounts around the resorts and free entrances to the nightclubs. But it, but it was the people I'd be leaving behind at Bar Troopers and how good Dark Horse and Jello had been to me, which would eventually eat me alive, I think. The hardest part was telling Dark Horse and Jello face-to-face as we didn't really want to do it over the phone or via a text message. So off me and Tony went to the to their apartment to tell them the bad news.